Good morning, today's daf is daf Ayin. We're going to start a new perek. Today's shir is Le'ilu Nishmas, Dov Nota Ben Chaim Shmuel and Chaim Ben Mordechai Yosef. May the Neshamas have an aliyah and their memory be a blessing. We'll, we'll start from the sixth last line of Samach Tes Amud Beis, um, 69b. And the Gemara is, uh, yeah, it, it starts with a story. Remember, the, the, the halachas it's been discussing is um, when the father instructs someone to look after his daughter's estate or, the, um, or similar. You know, she says, I'd prefer my husband to look after my property, etc. But basically, tomorrow brings a story with Ilfa. Now, just a little bit background to the story. This was in Maseches Tanis. Ilfa and Rabbi Yochan were colleagues in Yeshiva. And they were very, very poor. So they said, let's go make some, uh, let's, let's go to business. We better start earning some money. So they went out, and Rabbi Yochan heard two angels speaking. And they said that, well, firstly, I think, they, if I remember correctly, they wanted to kill them for leaving the base medrash and going to work. But the more important part was they said one of them will become the Rosh Hashiva. Rabbi Yochanan asked Ilfa if he heard any sounds, and Ilfa said no. So Rabbi Yochanan said, it must be me that's going to become the Rosh Hashiva. He said to Ilfa, you carry on business, I'm going back to Yeshiva, I'll suffer in poverty. And he went back to the Yeshiva, and as you know, Rabbi Yochanan became the Rosh Hashiva, he became the leader of, of uh, his generation in Eretz Yisrael. And uh, a few, a while later, Ilfa came back. He had finished his uh, business ventures. And he, he came back and they told him, you know, Ilfa, we remember you in Yeshiva. You were probably even greater than Rabbi Yochanan. If you would have remained, you would have become the Rosh Hashiva. So Ilfa took offense to that. He says, what do you mean? He says, you're right. Sometimes you get distracted from your learning and you get caught up in business and you forget your learning. But I'm telling you, I'm still a great, great Talmud Chacham. And that's where we, um, where we come in. He says, Ilfa Talanachi Iskara de Muhta. He hung himself from the mast of a ship. And he says, Omer Ikad Aisi, the Omer Limilsa, the Vayri, Bichir, Varavoshi, Velo Pashtina, Leimad Mernisin. Is there anyone here who can come and tell me something from the teachings of Rabbi Chir and Rabbi Oisha that I can't answer where we find that halach in the Mishnah? Nefila me iskiravatavina. I'll throw myself from the mask at mast from the ship and I will drown myself. I think I don't know if literally he's threatening to commit suicide, but he's making a point how confident he is in his ability to to uh, to prove that he's still a great Talmud Chacham. Um, now, just interestingly, because we know that Rebbe compiled the Mishnah. Rebbe left out a whole lot of teachings, which we refer to as brises. Okay, those are also tonight teachings, but what's outside of the Mishnah? Now, Rebbe Chia and Rebbe Oishia, they were Talmudim slash colleagues of Rebbe, came along and they can, they made a collection of authoritative and reliable brises. We generally refer to that as the Tosefta. But so what Ilf is saying that any halacha that you find in the Tosefta in by Rabbi Chia and Rabbi Oishia. I'm such a great Tavul Chotham, I can show you where Rebbe included that halach in the Mishnah. I mean, obviously Rebbe is going to include all the important halachas in the Mishnah, otherwise, why would he leave it out? But sometimes it's quite hidden or, you know, buried in a cryptic statement of Rebbe. Or, so so Ilf is saying, I'm so great, you can tell me any halacha that you see in the, in the, in the teachings of Rebbe Chia and Rabbi Oishia, and I'll show you where it is in the Mishnah. So, so, um, um, 
says also so a elder man an elderly man came and he taught, told him the following brace it says he says give them a, a shekel per week and actually they need a seller I, uh, due to inflation one shekel is not enough they need double that a seller so what does he do again the father told the person entrusted the guardian to only give his children one shekel a week after he dies that's what it says in the will and they really need a seller double that it says noise them no seller he gives them a seller if the father said, so, so that's where the father said, give them a shekel per week. But However, if he said to them, do not give them, only give them a shekel, then he's not allowed to give them more than a shekel. If he said, when my children die, I want others to inherit. Uh, he's, he's not only as he's um, specified how he wants the Yerusha to be given to his children as in one uh, shekel or one seller a week, he has also specified um, he's also specified that he wants after his sons die, he, want the, he wants the Yerusha, the estate to go to a third party. So if that's the case whether he uses the language of please give them a shekel a week or whether he uses the language of only give them a shekel do not give them more than a shekel a week you do not give them more than a shekel because obviously the father wants some of the estate to be left to go to this third party now that's the price the Sata told Ilfa so Omar for money and he said to him who's the author that's Ilfa's, Ilfa's responding he says who's the author of that teaching says, Rebbe Meir here, it's Rebbe Meir, Da'omar Mitzvah Lakaim Tivra Mace. He says it's a mitzvah to listen to the words of the mace, I the deceased. If, um, now that's our Mishnah. Our Mishnah, Rebbe Meir, said the agent must use the money to buy the daughter a field. And he said, even if the daughter says, you know what, I trust my husband to manage the finances, Rebbe Meir says, no, we have to listen to what the father said. The father appointed X to manage the estate and to buy her a field or whatever, even though she says, I'd rather my husband. We mitzvah the kind of mace. We listen to the mace. And that's what this mission is about. Mitzvah the kayim divra mace. Just a few points to clarify. It will come out, but um, so firstly, when the father says, give my children a share, it will come out from the Gomorrah. Let's carry on. Um, whether the father said give them a shekel I'm implying give them the minimum they need for a week whether the father said do not give them anything besides a shekel you give them what they need but didn't we just say the halach is like Rebbe Meir that it's a mitzvah to listen to the mace I, the father said I only want them to get a shekel how can you come along and say, we're not going to fulfill that mitzvah, we're going to do much more? This is in all other cases. But in this case, Iwe wants it to go to his sons, we can assume that he wants them to have what they need. I, when the May says, I'd want Yerusha to be distributed in, 
in such a way. Or I want my Yerusha to go to so-and-so or something like that. We have a mitzvah to listen to what he says and fulfill his uh, instructions. But here, when it comes to providing for his, full, for his children, we assume he wants them to have what they need. So even if he says, only give them a shekel, we still, at but, because of inflation or whatever, they now need a seller. We give them a seller. There's, oh, so he says, oh, Omar, so then why did the father say, only give them a shekel? You tell me the father really wants them to get what they need. But he used the language, very strong, very clear language, I only want them to receive a shekel. Now the father is just coming to uh, push his children. Ah, he wants his children to develop their entrepreneurial spirit. He wants them to go and find a job and not become uh, lazy or spendthrift relying on the estate. That's what he was saying. When the father comes along and says, I want my children to get a shekel, he's saying, I want them to be given their basic needs so that when they want a bit more, they want to live slightly better, they want a few luxuries, they don't want a basic cell phone, they want a fancier cell phone, they're going to be motivated to go out and work. He doesn't want them to just live off the estate. So that's why the father says, only give them a shekel. Not that he means literally a shekel, but he means I want them to have the basics. And, if, and again, I only want them to have the basics, even though it's a very nice estate, I only want them to have the basics so that they work. And it's not awesome. Um, just before we go further, interesting discussion, what's the... What's the status and when would we say this mitzvah l'kayim divra mace? It's a mitzvah to fulfill the words of a mace. So firstly, one aspect, I guess, if it's a parent, is it kibbutz ava'im? Is it kibbutz ava'im after misa? Second aspect, what, what does it refer to? Let's say the father says, um, oh, the, the person says, I want my children to only wear green shirts. Is it mitzvah l'kayim divra mace? You know, what, what halachas does it affect that we would say this? And then a third aspect to consider is what's the difference between a matan shchivmeirah, a gift of someone on their deathbed, and mitzvah l'kayim divrameis. So that I think is a bit more straightforward. And that is matan shchivmeirah. We say when someone on their deathbed issues an instruction regarding their finances, we treat that as if a kinyan has been performed. We know every deal has every trade, gift or sale or something in halacha has to be formalized. With the Kenyan, if the if a if a or someone on their deathbed gives an instruction, I want this field to go to Reuben, I want this to go to Shimon, whatever the, he says, we treat that as if the Kenyan has been finalized. Whereas by mitzvah lishma it seems we don't treat it as if it's been finalized, but it's encouraged. It's a mitzvah. It's a good thing to do to listen to what the mace instructed. Interesting. That's what some Jews rely on. It's playing with fire, as we've discussed, uh, wills and inheritance. But some rely on, we know that the Torah automatically distributes Yerusha in one way. Let's say only to sons and not to daughters. That's a Torah way of distributing. What happens if the father wants his daughters to inherit? So he could get up and say, look, children, I want my estate to be split equally amongst you all. Now, there, there would be no legal obligation to listen to their father. But there would be mitzvah So they would not legally be obligated to split the Yerusha amongst all the children, sons and daughters. There would be no way to... The daughters would not be able to enforce that in a court of law if the sons didn't agree. But there would still be a, an obligation from this aspect 
that the sons should distribute it. Okay, a few interesting questions regarding this. Tzran Hassan, we learned in a Mishnah elsewhere, Young children, what they sell, what they buy is considered bought, and what they sell is considered sold if it's movable. I generally remember Doraisa, only an adult can affect a transaction. Someone, a girl 12 or a boy 13. But shall we say, it depends, it basically comes out, young children about 8 or 9, um, a little maybe if they're a cleverer kid or a, or a Dalek kid a little bit older or a little bit younger, um, they, the Chazal say that their sales take effect. And that's because sometimes you have orphans who need to look after themselves. It says, Omar um, that's where there is no guardian. But if they have a guardian, then we say that their, their trading is invalid. It says, Where do we get that from? Because we taught in our Mishnah, the acts of a katana are nothing. If you have a miner selling off or trading with the, their estate, it is a masekatana klum. So, on the one hand, we have the price uh, which says the sales or purchases of a katan have an effect. Our Mishnah comes along and says, <coughs> a masa, katana klub. It must be the difference is whether there's a guardian or not. Remember, in our Mishnah, there's the shlish, there's the third party who's, who the father instructed to take care of the estate. So, where there's a guardian, it's nothing. And where they got to fend for themselves, then we allow them to trade. Rabbis give them the power to trade. Maybe an apitropus, maybe a shlish is different to an apitropus. A shlish has a very specific mission, a very specific instruction from the father that he has to um, carry out. And that's where Chazal said, since it's based on a specific instruction, you ignore the ch- what the children are doing. You say it's invalid. But where it's an apitropus, a general guardian, he doesn't have a specific instruction. Maybe there, if the children see that they need to, they're not being taken care of properly, <coughs> the apitropus is not providing them with enough food, we do allow them to trade. That's the Gomorrah's question. So he says, in listen, shlish shulish No, because then it should have said, with a minor, the shlish does what is in his hands to do. My a masek katana klum. Why does it use the phrase the acts of the katana klum? I say much more general, not limited to the scenario of a shlish. We see that even in a regular case with a regular garden, the maise of the katana is nothing. And that's the that would be the basic um, conclusion. Again, the shlish, whether it's a shlish or whether it's a apitropos. Since they are taking care of the estate, we'd say what the child does is invalid. But in a case where the child's taking care of themselves, they don't have a guardian, they don't have someone to look after them, then Chazal instituted that what they sell or buy is valid. Again, because they need to survive. How else are they going to survive? Okay, Hadron Loch, Metzias Aisha, Hadron Loch, Metzias Aisha, Hadron Loch, Metzias Aisha. Now, as we know, Xubus is called Shas Katan, and many Shas, and you can kind of tell that. We've discussed documents, we've discussed inheritance, we've discussed uh, trading, we've discussed uh, marriage, we've discussed clauses in the Tsuba, we've jumped all, we've discussed we've discussed everything. Now we go to another part of Shas, Nadorim, taking vows. So just uh, 
Yeah, so let's let's start the new mission. He says, Hamadi is Ishtam Lahemoslaw. If someone takes a vow that his wife is not allowed to get benefit from him, um if the vow is for any time up to 30 days, then he sets up a, a someone, he establishes a parnas someone to provide for her. Yes, if it's for more than that, then he has to divorce her and give her her ksupa. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says there's a distinction. If it's up to a month, then they stay married again, and you'll set up the parne, someone to support her. But if it's for two months, I over a month, then he has to divorce and give her ksupa. But kohen, with the kohen, shnayim yekayim v'shosh yoytzi With the kohen, it's for two months, and, but if it's for longer than two months, then he has to divorce her and give her a ksuba. Why is a coin different to a Yisrael? So the reason is because a co- if a, a Yisrael can remarry his wife, if they get divorced and they decide, actually, let's get back together, it's fine. But a kohen can't. So we give a bit longer, two months, hoping that there will be, that this issue will be resolved, that they'll find a pesach, find a reason to annul the husband's vow, etc. And that's why we give it longer by a coin, because if they do get divorced, there's no going back. Because remember, a coin can't marry a divorced woman, even if it's his ex-wife. And then, If someone makes, takes a vow or gets his wife to, you know, here it's, you know, I should mention, obviously you can only take a vow regarding yourself and regarding your property. So I can take a vow that I can't... Um, Reuben can take a vow that Reuben can't get benefit from you or he can't eat a certain food or, you know, he can take that sort of vow. But Reuben can't take a vow that, like, you, Gareth, can't get benefit from your property. Reuben can't get you. However, a wife, if a wife takes a vow, the husband has the power to annul the vow. So in a way, if he doesn't annul the vow, that's as if he's taken the vow. So that's the language that comes up. If someone takes a vow that their wife can't eat any a, a specific type of food or fruit, I so, so again, it's not that he can't take a vow that his wife can't eat peaches, but he can, by not cancelling his vow, his wife's vow not to eat peaches, that's as if he made her take a vow that she can't eat peaches. So if he does that, Yoitzi, he has to divorce her. He takes Uba and give her Uba. If you don't even show your effort. Um... Again, Rabbi Huda makes this distinction with his shol yom echod yakayim shnayim yoytzi v'yitain ksuba. So v'koyim shnayim yakayim shloshi yoytzi v'yitain ksuba. By Yisrael, it's if the if the neder is for two days or longer, and by kohen, it's if it's for three. Uh, well, up to two days, but if it's for three days or longer, then you'd have to divorce her. Hamadir is ish tashloit is kashet beechod mikol haminim. If someone takes a vow that his wife is not allowed to put on a certain type of perfume. He says, no, um, a poor woman who, I guess, wouldn't wear perfume as often, it's where he did, where it's a vow forever. He didn't set a limit. Whereas with a rich person, it's for 30 days. Not one or two days, but 30 days. Okay, so that's the Mishnah, three scenarios of vows that might be taken. Rashi just raises an interesting point. Rashi, on the first point, the first point of the Mishnah was a, a woman takes a vow from getting benefit. 
So Rashi says, this benefit can't be Tashmish. It can't be that he says he's not allowed to have relations with his wife. Because as we saw, that's an obligation on him from the Tzubah. He's already mishtabed. He already owes her that. So he can't now come along and take a neder to not give her what he owes her. So that part of the neder is invalid. Ah, the part of the food regarding getting financial benefit from him. So that part of the vow takes effect because... Um, because he can establish, granted he has a responsibility to support her, he can find someone else to do it. Almost on his behalf, we'll discuss that detail shortly. But that's why, um, that's how Rashi learns. Tosas aren't too happy. Among the, but, and some things to consider, generally if you take a vow and half of the vow can't stand, the whole vow is negated. So if he takes a vow that his wife can't get benefit from him, and the part re- re- referring to Tashmish, um, is uh, is cancelled, is invalid, is ignored, well then the whole matter should be ignored. But, uh, okay, so that's one issue Tosses have. Um, and, yeah, amongst a few other issues that uh, and that Tosses have, but Tosses basically say the language of from getting benefit specifically from him must be referring to food, because Tashmish is benefit for them, not just for him. Okay, exactly however you want them, but, but therefore Tosos learns slightly differently, but that's just an interesting thing on the first one, that it definitely can't be referring to Tashmish. Um, okay, now Tosos asks, he, he has to provide her with food. It's one of the requirements in the Tzubah. Not just Tashmish, also food he has to provide her with. So how can he take a neder that undoes this uh, responsibility of his? It says, We learned in a Mishnah, If a husband takes a neder that you can't get, that his wife can't get benefit, he doesn't have to annul the neder. Why doesn't he have to... Oh, sorry. If the, sorry, sorry. This is if the wife takes a neder that the husband can't get benefit from her work, from what she earns, from what she earns, she does not need. He doesn't need to annul it. Why? Because she's obligated to give her husband what she earns. Therefore, you don't have to. It's an invalid neder. You don't have to annul it. Remember, you only have to uh, annul a neder that stands. If it's invalid, well, then you don't need to annul it. So, so that's what we're saying here. So, and we should say the same thing then by the man. We see that since she's obligated to provide, to give him her earnings, she doesn't have the power to take a error. Well then so she is. Since he's obligated to provide her with food, he shouldn't have the power to take a error that forbids her to get the food. So the Gemara answers no. Since he is able to tell her, you know what, you keep your earnings instead of me supporting you. It's as if he told her, you know, you keep your earnings and I'll keep my food. I, this we learned earlier on in the Masechta that the, the husband provides her with food, and in exchange for that, he gets her earnings. So here we saying when he says, when he takes a netter that she can't get benefit from him, it says, if he said, you know what, you keep your earnings, and I'm not going to provide you with food, which is valid. 
Ah, says the imi salahad Ravuna, Amar Rav. But wait, if you're going to tell me that what Ravuna says in the name of Rav is true, Amar Ravuna, Amar Rav, Yachayle Isha, Shetayim Elabala, Aini Nizaynes, Aini Oyser, Kainem Shani Oyser Lefichach. Says Ravuna says. In the name of Rab, a woman is able to tell her husband, I will not be supported for you, and I'm not going to work for you. Then, however, why if she takes a netter that I will not let you get benefit from my work, does she not have, does he not have to annul it? Since she is theoretically able to say, you know what? I will keep my earnings and I don't want your support. When she takes a net and he's not allowed to get benefit from her earnings, it should be as if she said, I'll keep my earnings and you t- take and you don't have to support me. Again, why do we say that he does not have to annul the net? So, so our issue is that we wanted to say that when the husband takes a net not to support that his wife can't get benefit from him, it should be an invalid nere. And we answered that, no, it's good because he can say, keep your earnings and I won't support you. Well, then by Rafuna we run into trouble because uh, Rafuna we had the opposite case. But basically where she takes a, where um, she says, I'm not working for you, we said she does, he doesn't have to annul it, it's invalid. But we should say, it's, well, it is valid. It says, if she says... You keep your support and I'll keep my own it. So that can't be pshat. So, Ella Noitema, Nase, Ella Boimelo, Now, don't say the cases where, she's, where we say it's as if she said, don't you keep your support and I keep my earnings. Or as if he said, you keep your earnings and I won't support you. It is a case where the husband has already told her, you keep your earnings and I am not going to support you. So now, now that we have that case, he's not, he's not entitled to, she's not entitled to his support because she gets to keep her earnings and therefore his netter takes effect. So again, we're saying that it's already happened that he said, I'm not supporting you, you keep your earnings. Then we want to ask, ah, so she's supporting herself. Well, then why did the Mishnah say that he must set up a parne, someone to take care of her? This is a marriage where she takes care of herself financially. So why does he have to set up a parne to take it? He says, no, but a lot of soft cuts where they, she doesn't earn enough. If it's a case where she doesn't earn enough, well, now we're back where we started. Well, we're back where we started. He's responsible to provide for her. And therefore, the neder that she can't get benefit from him should be invalid. Granted, he doesn't have to provide for all her needs because she does earn some money. He still has to provide her some of her needs. So that converse says, It's not the case is where she can, he can provide for her for most of her needs. But not for the small needs. I maybe her house and her her, her health and medical aid and the bigger expenses that he can pay for. But the small things that she the other things that she needs, he's not he doesn't provide for her. He says, Well, what are we referring to when we refer to these small things that she's not able to afford for herself? There's either a gilabahu or a gilabahu. If that item she's used to 
well then he has to provide her for them. She's used to them. He'd have to provide for them. And again, his nether should not take effect. And if the item she never uses, well then why do we need someone to support her with it? She never, I don't know, she never uses perfume and she never uses uh, certain items in the kitchen. All of a sudden we have to set up a palace to support her. No. So again, so what's the scenario? It says, Lotricha must be the case. Is the regular bevasnos of a common Case where she was used to them in her father's house, but she went along with him. Uh, she went when the, when they were getting married. She said to her husband, "I know you're not as financially well off as my parents, and I know I'm going to have to sacrifice a few of my luxuries, but I'm prepared to. I'll live with you, and we'll make it work. I'll be fine without the luxuries." That's what happened in this marriage. And she says, "Well, you know what." Up until now, before you took a net air, I was prepared to go along with you. Now I'm not prepared to go along with you. I want to live with the same standard as I used to live with my parents. And you can see this happening. Why? Because you know, with her husband, we have a good relationship. I can see you putting in all your effort to support me and do what you can. I'll sacrifice a few luxuries that I'm used to. Again, even though she's entitled, because remember we said a wife is entitled to all the luxuries she gets. She, the, the lifestyle that she had in her parents' home. Accustomed. Pardon? That she's accustomed. Yeah, that she's accustomed to. Um, however, when he comes along and he says, you know what, you can't get benefit from me. I want you earning your salary. You use that. She says, well, no, I'm not so happy to uh, suffer without those luxuries. I want those luxuries. So again, the neder took effect because she wasn't, um, because she was supporting herself. Now, after the letter, she says, well, I want those added luxuries. He is Now it's a financial transaction. She wants to make sure she's getting her fair. So so the letter takes effect. Because when he took the letter, he didn't have to support her. So he can say, I take a letter that you don't get benefit from our property. Because she was earning that. Now, then she comes on and says, okay, well, I want all I'm entitled to. He's obligated to give her those added luxuries. And therefore... She can. Um, he now has to set up a paradise. Says, oh my, yom. So now, why does it make a difference until thirty days? Why do we say that they remain married if the netter is up to thirty days long? If the netter is longer, then he has to divorce her. So he says, now adlam yom shom inchi. He says, no, up to 30 days, no one's going to really find out about it, and therefore she won't be degraded, disgraced. But after 30 days, people will start to hear about this strange case where this wife has to support herself, and there's this third party looking after her. Her husband doesn't take care of her, which is quite embarrassing to her. You know, the, Yeah, I live in this relationship, but my husband doesn't take care of me at all, and there's a, this third guy who to, to support me. So that's why... Um, it's up to 30 days where it's not degrading for her. We say she should hang in there, hopefully the netter, or the netter of a limited time, therefore she would get divorced. Okay, now we're going back to the question of when, we're going to give another answer when the vow could take effect. Remember, we started we said he is obligated to support his wife, so how could the vow to not support his wife remove that obligation? So we gave one answer, now we're going to give a second answer. He took the nether when she was in Arusa. Remember, he's not obligated to support his, his Arusa, he's only obligated to support her from Nisuyin. 
So the narrative takes effect. Oh, Arusam Islam was on it. But then why does he have to set up? She doesn't need, he doesn't need to provide for her. So why does she need to, he need to set up a third party to take care of her? There's no shahigir's man below nizu. It's a case where, again, she was in Arusa. However, it's where the, the time to get married arrived, an agreed date to do nizuyin, and he pushes her off. Now he's obligated to support it. We learned in the Mishnah, he gives man below nizu, he learned in the Mishnah earlier, if the time arrived to get married and he did not go through with the wedding, She's allowed, he has to, she eats his food and she can even eat trum, he has to support her. Oh, my child, Lamed Yom. So then what difference does 30 days make? Okay, this is not really, they're not married yet, they haven't done Isu yet. So why, so she won't feel, so, so, we, so it's not so bad that she's not supported by him. So he says, so you can't give that answer. He says, says, up until 30 days, you can rely on the third party. To fill it, fulfill his shlichus, his agency. After 30 days, he's going to start being careless with it. You know, you you get a new responsibility, you carry it out carefully. After a while, you used it. You're not so careful with it, so that's why we're worried after 30 days. So it actually, um, yeah, that's the that's the second answer. And now we're going to give a third answer again to how the netter could take effect. The case is where he took the netter while the arusa, and then they got to nisuyim. Oh, Nisa's whole Svara of a Kabla. If she got married to this guy, having taken a netter that she can't get benefit from him, isn't she accepting the marriage on these conditions? Okay, if when they were married again, so he had an obligation to support her, and now he says, I take a netter not to. Okay, we're running into trouble. You can't just change the conditions of the marriage. But if she only married him after the agreement, after knowing that he had a netter against her, then. The marriage, she's saying, I'm happy to get married, even under such condition. So the Gomorrah answers, the, so, so why would you ever say they have to get divorced? So it says, no, the Amrah, because we're Anish, Ani the Kabbal, Ashab, Ani the Kabbal. So she says, I thought it would be manageable, I thought I'd be able to handle this, but I realize I'm not. He says, no, where do we say this? Regarding women. I, where, she's allowed to say, look, I got married to this guy thinking I'd be able to handle the certain blemishes or issues he had. But I realize I'm not able to. He says, but, where do we find? She's, she's aware how difficult it is to live in a marriage without getting any benefit from her husband. So she can't all of a, she can't all of a sudden come along and say, no, I didn't realize how difficult it would be. She's a thinking human being. You know, if someone says, yeah, we'll live together, but you're not allowed to get any benefit from me. She can't come along and say, well, I thought it would be manageable. You knew how difficult it is. You knew what you were getting yourself into. You can't all of a sudden pull out. She says, You're right, it must be like our first answer or our earlier answers. Okay, again, remember the answer was that he, it was a case where he wasn't, he, they, they had basically said, and she said, I'll take my earnings and support myself. And he said, okay, and he was okay. Then he took a letter that she's not allowed to get benefit from him. Since she's not allowed to get benefit from him, she says to him, Look, you know, while I was. Why I had cast my lot with you, I was prepared to go along. It was out of love, I was prepared to sacrifice a few luxuries. Well, now that you've put this uh, spanner in the works and highlighted that uh, we're going along for what financially suits us, well, I want uh, all the luxuries that I was used to in my parents' house. And therefore, he has to set up the panes. And again, obviously, if it's just for 30 days, no one will find out and she'll 
push through, but after 30 days, if it's for longer than 30 days, people start finding out, and it would be degrading to her, and she won't want to. It's interesting, something to consider. What sort of things, if a bride or groom find out after marriage, are they allowed to say, well, I didn't, I didn't know about that, and therefore I'm not doing it? And to take it a step further, what sort of things, like here we see by woman, she could say, I thought I would be able to handle it, but I realize I'm just not. Okay, something, uh, something to think about in Shiduchim. It says, Until 30 days, set up a parnes. So he says, um, He says, but wait. Yeah, sorry. Pardon? Uh, where, where the, the person that's going to support it, yeah, you should set up a steward. That's the, the art shop. Where yeah. would the... Where's he going to find this person? Who's going to this person? Oh, so, so we're going to there now. It says, okay. first question, the is he not just carrying out his will? If someone, Reuven takes a letter, his wife's not going to get benefit from him. And then he goes and asks his friend Shimon to support her. Yeah. Well, Shimon's acting on behalf of Reuven, which means she's still getting benefit from Reuven, from her husband. So how does it help? It's a case where he says, whoever supports her won't lose out. He doesn't go to anyone and say, Gavin, will you please support my wife for me? And I, I, I took a net and I can't. That's not what happened to him. That's where he stood up. He just went around. He was standing amongst a group of friends. He says, you know, I need someone. Uh, it doesn't say, whoever takes care of my wife won't lose out. He's implying that he'll pay them back. But he's not financially obligated to pay them back. There's no agreement that you spend X on my wife and I'll support. There's no such agreement. It's not an obligation. Therefore, he's not a shliya. It says, You tell me such a scenario is not considered agency. Is it for hard time? But we learned in a Mishnah. If someone is stuck in a bar, he realizes, I don't know, he's in prison or he fell down a well and he realizes he's not going to get out. And he shouts, Whoever writes a get, he writes out, whoever, um, whoever hears this, please write a get. Whoever kills him is able to write a get. Now again, they're not obligated to, but you must say it's a shliach, because remember, someone can only write a get for a man if they are his shliach, if they're doing it on his behalf. So when this guy shouts out, whoever writes a get for my wife, whoever hears this, please write a get for my wife, it counts as a get, it means that it's shlichos. So so to you, whoever says, whoever hears me shouting, support my wife and they won't lose out, that is shlichos. If it works for a get, it works in, to count as a shliach, it works in this case. It says, no, haka hashti hosam ka'ama yutov haka mikama yazud. Kol hazan ka'ama. It says, nah, there, how can you compare the cases? Um, there, it's where he said, whoever hears this voice, go ahead and write a get. Here he doesn't say, whoever hears this must support my wife. He says, whoever support my wife won't lose out. Again, as I, I think the M, at least one way of looking at it, the emphasis is there's no financial obligation of him here. You're right, it's the right thing to do. Someone looked after your wife for a month to pay them back. But he'll never be able to sue you in court. You got up in, uh, however broad you want to make this announcement, he got up in Shul and he said, you know, whoever supports my, um, whoever supports my wife for the next month won't lose out. No one is able to sue him in court for what they give his wife. So I, I think that's that, that's our understanding. He says, oh, but wait. He says, in regards to a fire, I on Shabbos. Chas v'shalom, someone's house is burning out. Now we don't want the number of officers, you know, how to put out a fire. 
on Shabbos. So he shouts out, whoever puts out the fire won't lose out. Now obviously, that, so that non-Jews will go and put out the fire. They'll put in more effort because they know they're being offered a handsome reward. But it says specifically, it says, Bidleka, they allowed him to use this phrase. Oh, Bidleka, Lubutemai. What do you mean when, you, when, the, when the Mishnah and Chazal emphasize specifically in the case of a fire, there you're allowed to do it? Must be coming, lovely mutai kiagav is not coming to exclude a scenario like ours. Aiyeh, he says, anyone who supports my wife won't lose out. That is considered shlichus. It's a special leniency by delayka, by a fire, but not in other cases. So the Gemara answers, no, loy limutai shari surim de Shabbos. It's specifically regarding the isurim of Shabbos. I by Shabbos in general, if you say whoever does X won't lose out, that's considered Amir Lenovri. I should have started off. This whole discussion is the issue of Amir Lenovri asking a non-Jew to do something on Shabbos that you're not allowed to do, which we know you're not allowed to do. The famous, which is very relevant, interesting, often more relevant in South Africa than in many other countries, or because you don't, because we all have maids. Um, but you're not allowed to ask an Anju to do malafa for your own Shabbos. That will the child should before the Hebrew. Let's not go there. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's part of the discussion there. They say it's for a mitzvah or whatever. It's, uh, so then the leniency, it's Eruv's only, it's that you require Eruv's only mitzvah. So, okay, but that's why many people did allow it. There were those who weren't happy, but many people did allow it. Um, yeah, but so that's all Amirullah Akum, and on Shabbos you're not allowed to do Amirullah Akum in a way where you say whoever does X for me won't lose out. Whoever cooks my, whoever switches off on my stove on the hot tray, or whoever switches off the stove, whatever the story. I mean, there you might be there. You can ask them directly. But whoever does X for me won't lose out, and it's malacha. Whoever waters my field won't lose out. You know, that's considered Amir al-Akum. It's specifically about fire, where you're going to lose all your possessions, that they went leniently. Um, but, to do with other mitzvahs, like, you know, supporting your wife and stuff, it's, we're not as strict, and therefore it would be fine. I just thought, interestingly, I don't know if you're allowed, but there's a big question, with this that you're not allowed to ask a non to do something for you on Shabbos, what's the status of it? Part of the question is, Obviously, we generally say when you ask someone to write a get for you, here you ask, if you ask someone directly to support your wife for you, there you're shliach, they're doing it on your behalf to a degree, it's as if you did it. So, but we generally don't say that by analogy. So, what's the problem? So, I thought, I mean, so Shulchan Aruch Harav categorizes it. He puts it across very clear. A lot of principles he puts across, uh, that's the Bala Tanya. The first to Babbage Rebbe. Um, he puts a lot of these principles in his Shulchan Aruch Haram across very clearly. It's not so straightforward that it is because of Shlichus, that it's a problem. But even if you want to say it is because of Shlichus, then you have a question of why is it a problem? There's no issue of Shlichus by Anandju. So I just thought, okay, it's uh, don't uh, Lubavitch celebrate his birthday today? Chai no, Elo? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
So a good day to read uh, some Torah from him. Uh, so he says, Chazal said, you're not allowed to ask an Anjou to do Melacha for you on Shabbos, whether it's for free or whether you're paying them to do it. And it's whether you ask him before Shabbos to do the Melacha, or whether you ask him on Shabbos, but you don't need the Melacha to done till after Shabbos. Um... He's acting on behalf of the Jew as a shliach for the Jew. And therefore it doesn't matter. Ah, you might have thought, you know what? Maybe it's a problem of you're not allowed to speak about doing malacha on Shabbos. Well then that would mean if you ask him before Shabbos, you say, can you please, on Shabbos, can you go and water my field, my garden? That shouldn't be a problem. So he says, no, you, it's a shliat. So it's as if you're going and watering it on Shabbos. Well, similarly, you might have thought, if the problem is you don't want melocha done on your behalf or um, Shabbos, well, then what if you ask him to do something that you don't need? Oh, sorry, not, not exactly phrased like that, but you ask him to do something on Shabbos that you only need done after Shabbos. You say, um, you say this, uh, this Shabbos, can you put up my sukkah? Now, you could have put, build your sukkah on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday. But you're asking him to do it on Shabbos, but for after Shabbos. So, is that a, so he says all of those scenarios are a problem. And he says because he's acting on your, your shlichos. Now here's the important point to tie it in with al sugi regarding shlichos. Um, he says, Even though we say da'araisa, we don't say the shliach of a person is like the person himself. It's where a Jew is acting as a shliach for a Jew, and he gives the source for that. Um just gonna skip the the source. But a non-Jew doing an agency for you does not count as shlichus from the Torah. Midraban and we say that we go strict and we say that there is shlichus by a non-Jew. Um Okay, let's just do a few more. Um, so, so, so that's the. So, where we're holding at the moment, we said, isn't it a shli- Isn't how can he say whoever supports my wife won't lose out? That's as good as him supporting his wife, which he's not allowed to do because of the neder. So we said, no, it's where he's. It's not. It's not official enough. So it's more rabba rabba, and then we try to question it from Shabbos, but we support. We came out okay with our way of learning at the end. So more rabba rabba challenges. He says, "Hamura If someone takes a neder against his friend, he doesn't have, um, and he doesn't have what to eat. The friend, so, so your friend takes a neder that he won't get benefit from you. So now you know he needs some food for Rosh Hashanah. You know he needs some food. So what do you do? You go to a shopkeeper that you know. And tell him, so-and-so took a netter against getting benefit from me. I don't know what to do for him. Um, he said, um, he says the shopkeeper can go and give him food and then he can come back in from you and claim the expenses. It implies that this scenario is permitted, but not a case of where he says whoever supports my friend won't lose out. Again, it's 
specify the scenario where you go to the shopkeeper and you say, I don't know what to do for my friend. I can't help him. So the shopkeeper says, oh, okay, let me go help him and I'll assume you're going to pay me back. But that's much less explicit than when he says, whoever helps him won't lose out. Imagine going to the shopkeeper and saying, look, my friend can't get benefit from me. Help him and you won't lose out. That's a bit too explicit. So he says, and he says, law. It's a lomi boy thing. Not only if he said not only if he said whoever supports her won't lose out. The la is not speaking to a specific person. But even in the case of the shopkeeper, where he, it's to all intents and purposes, if he said you go, because he's talking to the shopkeeper, still, Kamash Banan is coming to teach us that it's fine. So if I understand correctly, there's a weakness and a strength in each statement. This seems to be how Tosa's learning. When he gets up and he says to no one in particular, whoever supports him won't lose out, that's fine, because again, he's not speaking to anyone in specific. And and he's not legally obligated, and therefore they hear anyone who hears that and goes supporting is fine. The other option is to go to a shopkeeper and say, I don't know what to do. Now you can't, since you're speaking to a specific person, you can't say, if you help him, he won't lose out. That's a bit too direct. It has to be more along the lines of, I don't know what to do, and you're not mentioning paying back at all. And there he interpreted it from that. Okay, we'll leave it then. We'll continue with this discussion tomorrow.